Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 205 with Leah Lipschitz. How are you today, Leah? I'm doing great, Dale. I'm just really, really happy and so grateful to be back here chatting with you again. Now, you did a fantastic webinar recently on our platform and talking about all things mindfulness. And one of the things I loved about your webinar was how honest you were and where you spoke about, you know, your upbringing and, and where you hit burnout and stuff like that. So for the people who weren't lucky enough to join that webinar, do you want to sort of paint the picture um, so they get a good idea who Leah is and also your sort of story? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in New York City, born and raised. I played basketball my entire life. And, and along with that came uh, the mentality, I think, stereotypically of an athlete, which, you know, we're conditioned to push harder, train more, don't stop to pay attention to how you're feeling. Nobody has time for that. That's weak. You know, that's not going to help you get where you want. You just have to push through it and just be tough, right? Tough it out. Uh, and that served me in a lot of ways. So um, by no means am I saying that, that, that those values don't, don't provide benefit for people. Um, they served me really well until I hit uh, what I call really the turning point in my life and a major speed bump. Um, so my, I played college and basketball, I was a really serious athlete and it really was my life. And my senior year in college, I actually ended up getting mugged and that triggered panic attacks and really severe anxiety and an episode of depression, a lot of which I had never experienced anything like that. And up until that point, if I'm being completely honest, if somebody would have said to me, you know, what's the deal with depression or panic attacks? I didn't really know much about anything involving mental health. And I probably would have said, oh, you can control it. You know, that maybe it's just get over it, right? Just tough it out. You just got to push through it until it hit home for me. And it really made me stop and, and tune into how I was operating in the world and also how I was relating to my experiences and myself and it made me see is there a different way that I could relate to what's happening and many years went by as I was kind of really digging in and fascinated by by the mind and the mind-body connection and well-being and I kind of fell into meditation mindfulness meditation and I learned a lot about myself and I also learned that there was a different way of operating that I actually didn't have to be controlled by the stories in my head and this conditioned reactivity to want to just push through you know to resist anything emotionally that was challenging and just physically push through um and then I could actually be kind to myself like what I like to say is like I could become friends with myself right I didn't have to <laughs> be my own inner enemy like I could actually be an ally, an inner ally. Uh, and that was mind blowing for me because it was so different and counterintuitive to everything that I had learned. And um, it also helped me through uh, my first career. So I was a college basketball coach after I graduated from college for several years. And I took on the same mindset I did as an athlete, right? It was, and that's what I told my players too: work harder, be relentless, push through it, toughen up, right? And man, do I wish that I knew then what I know now <laughs> about the time and place 
you know, the time and place for those, those attributes and also the time and place for the balancing, you know, that balancing act of bringing in a mindful pause and, and tuning into like what's really happening, whether it's to the body or, you know, emotionally, my relationships, my performance, let's say on the court. Um, and also noticing like where are areas that I can let up on myself in order to actually be more productive and be less burnt out and give myself the space and the time that I need to recover, like creating this, the spaces in between all of the activity that again, in today's society, like when do we take that, that time to pause, right? It's just go, go, go. It's like music without any spaces, right? What would that be? It's kind of chaos. So, um, so all of that to say, you know, practicing mindfulness and um, really diving deep into it in the past five years or so has really, has really changed my outlook on life and my relationship to myself and, and helped me from falling into burnout in my second career now, which is as a high school health and physical education teacher in the Boston, Massachusetts area. And I teach mindfulness as well. And um, to really balance it out and also to remind myself that like being human means to be perfectly imperfect. Like there's no such thing as perfect and, and not letting, not letting perfect be the enemy of, of good and treating myself like I would treat someone I love, which for so long, like that wasn't an option. And so all, you know, all of that to say, this has really become my mission because when something has a profound impact, I feel like on an individual, like for me personally, like the way that mindfulness has, it makes me want to scream it from the rooftops because I just think it can be so beneficial in today's world for so many reasons. Um, but that's really my story. And, and I couldn't be more grateful to have had number one, the privilege opportunity and the ability to discover and explore these practices. Um, and I love sharing it now with whoever wants to listen. <laughs> well, people do love listening later. Now, I will speak a little bit before, and I love the you know kindness at the moment, and you've got to love yourself before you can love anybody else. And we're going to get into that. But I'm really intrigued by US sports, and particularly college, because in Australia, we don't have, like sport isn't associated with the colleges we play at. And so can you just sort of, for particularly people in Australia, paint the picture, what is it like being a college athlete? So, um, pressures, the routine, uh, the privileges that may come with it. Do you want to paint a little bit of a picture about that? Because I'm really fascinated about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's interesting because the first thing that comes to mind as you're, uh, as you're saying, you know, the, the, the routines and the pressure and the privilege, I think of when I went on a recruiting visit to um, Boston University, which is where I started my playing career in college. And the thing that stuck in the mind most, like in my mind most, that I came back and told my friends about was, they do my laundry. I was like, <laughs> this is mind blowing. Like you put it on a little strap in your locker, you put it in, and then you know the next day you take it back out and it's clean. Like, so that's it's funny because that's the first thing that came to mind. But uh, in all seriousness, I mean, it was it was one of the uh, one of the most amazing opportunities of my life. Um, but there is a lot of pressure that comes along with it because the reality is being a student in college, a college student is a full-time job and being an athlete at the collegiate level, um, you know, I was on scholarship there, 
but I also played at a division three school, which is a lower division after two and a half years. And I wasn't on scholarship either way, whatever level you're playing at, it's also a full-time job in a lot of ways. And so particularly at the scholarship level, there's so much pressure from the top down that trickles down because it's a business. So, you know, you're, you're going to college or university, but you're also essentially getting paid. You know, you're getting a full scholarship, but you're really getting paid in my opinion to play your sport right? As well as to be an athlete or to be a student rather. Um, so, I mean, talk about time constraints beyond the pressure. I mean, your day is packed from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed between at least a couple hours of workouts, most of the year, you're breaking down film, you're preparing for, um, for opponents, you know, you're going on road trips during the season. Um, usually got morning workouts in the off season. And then, oh, by the way, like we have classes somewhere. They're going to fit in too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, and I can only speak to my experience um, and everybody's is different. I think the coaching staff and the support staff and the people that you're surrounded by can make a huge impact either, you know, maybe positively or not so positively. Um, but I, I'll, I do believe that no matter, no matter what the situation, it is it's a jam packed day and months and, um, it's a lot of responsibility to really put on uh, 18 to 22 year olds. Um, and I think there's a lot to be learned too. I gained some of the most valuable lessons in my life that have carried me through to this point and well beyond playing college basketball, because you really learn like how to be responsible and how to manage your time and how to be dedicated and how to be resilient. Um, because to speak to your point in the States, you know, in the, at the high school level, you're playing for your high, at least for basketball, you're playing for your high school team. And then you're also playing for a club team, you know, usually through an AAU organization. But if you're good and you end up playing in college, you're getting funneled in and you end up playing with all the best players from everywhere else too. So you're no longer the, <laughs> the best. You know? Yeah. You're with the best of the best. Um, and so I think that again, just um, learning to adapt and, and to deal with change uh, is something else that really comes with the territory because um, you have to be able to accept your role and, and really deal with adversity oftentimes on a level that maybe if you were like a really exceptional player in high school that you didn't deal with, you know, or have to really face consistently. Um, and to me, all of that really, again, just comes back to mindset and, and the way that, that we relate to our experiences. But for me, that was, that was what I, what I experienced is just really, really busy. Some of the best times of my life. I mean, some of my best friends who are more like family and um, opportunities that not a lot of people get and that I am immensely grateful for having been able to experience. Mm, I, and I love that. And I think as Australians, I, I love American sport and I, I think it's fascinating, but it really, it's like, you look at like, and I can only go on Netflix shows I've seen lately, like, um, you know, the, oh, what is it? Anyway, the last, last chance you, anyway, the, the, the grid on one and these towns, like there's so much pressure on these kids that haven't even developed yet. And the whole town goes and watches and it's on a Friday night. I'm sure it's similar to you that once they finish, then, then what happens? If you're not good enough, what happens after that? Because I'm a believer that it's lifelong sport, that you should want to be able to play, and it's not just for the best, but it doesn't always seem that way. Was that sort of what you experienced as part of the college system? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Dale. I love that show too, Last Chance. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I've definitely spent some uh, some Friday nights binge watching that show. <laughs> um, uh, again, I can only speak to my own experience. And I will completely agree with you there that um, there's so much riding on your performance when you're playing at the collegiate level. Um, and if, if, and I believe that if college athletes aren't prepared for life after the sport and prepared for the transition that they need to make, because you really are a big shot. Like, like you mentioned, right? You see it with these kids and they really yeah. are kids and putting all this pressure on them but their worth is so conditional, right? Because it's like, well, what if you're not the star anymore? You get injured or you quit the team or whatever, even if you have a good reason or something doesn't work out, like where, where did all your friends go? And you don't have that support system anymore. And then when you graduate, like where's all the attention and recognition, you know? And it really, for me, that really, that hit me like a, like a ton of bricks. Who am I without my sport? Like, yeah, I was still active, but I had lost in my mind this identity this huge part of my identity and so i think you're bringing up and hitting on something that's really crucial that i see some people starting to talk about um but i don't think it's discussed enough mm. because um i've seen it with many with many student athletes who once they graduate they really struggle because they have to kind of recreate themselves and and try to find themselves and again we're conditioned that this worth is based on right? Being able to perform or put up certain numbers or something like that. When really, like for me, as I've, you know, gotten into mindfulness more, learned that you're, anybody's worthy. It's, it's unconditional. It's, you know, it's inherent in our being human beings, being alive. But I don't know about you. I've never heard a coach say that in their pregame talk, you know? Never. So, <laughs> um, so uh, it, and I do think that again, like, Pro sports, if you look at it from the top down in the States, are starting to pick up on this and realize that they really need to um, to tend to the whole person. Um, and whether it's because they think it's going to help performance, and I'm sure that's part of it, that's great. Um, but also I think it's helpful just on a holistic level for athlete well-being. Like I always go back to the Golden State Warriors in the NBA, and their four core values are joy, mindfulness, compassion, and then competition. And I'm like, I would never think that joy, mindfulness, and compassion would ever be words that they would hang up in an NBA locker room. Um, but I guess, you know, Steve Kerr, you know, or whoever, you know, helped the organization come up these core values, um, realizes the, the importance, not just again, for being able to, you know, get wins, but the value in like making people want to stick around and, pour their heart and soul in and, and be a part of the organization. So um, it's a work in progress, but mm. I think the conversation has been happening more, which is at least I think hopeful. Yeah. And, and I sort of look at it and just from what I've been able to see that they're so important when they're needed and people praise on them. And, but then once it's over they they completely lose everything. And then I think I can relate this back to obviously with COVID at the moment, Leah, that people, a loss because they've lost their purpose and their purpose is their job or their title you know they've worked so hard for it and that's what they that's what they base everything on their status their credibility on what they've been able to achieve at work but now when that's been taken away from them 
they're really sort of lost. And I think that's a really big issue. Have you noticed sort of similar situations of that? And can you relate maybe, you know, your college experience from once it was over? So being the star, being everyone, like everyone wanted you. And then once it was done, it's sort of over and sort of similar to COVID at the moment. Yeah, I can definitely see the connection, Dale, for sure. And I can say that based on my own experience, I actually had to learn that early because, uh, I really thought, you know, I was a big shot coming out here <laughs> and playing basketball and like one of the meccas of basketball in the United States, you know, it's, it's like one of the places to play ball in terms of, you know, the level of skill and competition and just the number of really good basketball players. And I played against or, you know, had friends who played with tons of, of players who were in the WNBA, played in the Olympics, really high level players. Um, so yeah, I thought that I was a, a big shot and I get a rude awakening when I got to college. Um, so I, I think I had to learn in college a little bit um, that I couldn't rely solely on my identity as a basketball player. But even though, you know, I didn't have the college career that I had hoped for myself, again, I really didn't have to come face to face with it truly until I graduated. And I, and I really struggled with it. I mean, when I say that I felt really lost like, I didn't know what my purpose was anymore. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself. And, and what felt right for me at the time was to, to coach college basketball, right? That felt like the next best thing. Well, if I can't keep playing, I kind of clung to this idea that, like, I'm, a, I'm an athlete or I'm a coach. Like, basketball is in my ingrained in me. So, well, I guess I'll just coach. And, um, and I did it, I think, out of a – a sense of obligation like well I need to stick with this because I need to be a part of the basketball world still um and and so I think I avoided facing you know this idea that there's more to life than basketball but it's really scary because this is where I get all my attention and and where people have been patting me on the back and you know telling me how great I am for years um and where I made so many of my friends and had all these great experiences and like, what, who am I? Like exactly what you said, who am I without this sport? Like who's going to want to be friends with me or who's, who's going to tell me I'm so great or give me that attention and love. You know, I think it was really deep seated. Um, and it took a lot of years, like many years, honestly, for me to come to grips with the fact that coaching, I was coaching to try to replace, you know, what I was getting from playing basketball, but it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I'm really a teacher at heart. And if I'm going to be completely honest, like I'm actually, I think, too soft to be coaching college basketball. Um, I, uh, I love teaching, but like, I just couldn't really, I couldn't follow through in the moments I really needed to, you know, I was just like, that's all right. I just want to be too mean. Or like, it just, you know, I was a head coach at an early age and, and it just, uh, it wasn't the right fit we'll say. Um, and so when I finally left coaching and this was about five years ago now, um, around the time that I got into mindfulness, I had to really stop and take a good look in the mirror and, and say to myself, okay, like I got to face what I'm feeling. You know, this idea that like what we resist persists and like if we keep resisting what's plaguing us, um, you know, we're not going to be able to, to heal it and work through it. So I can 
I can totally relate to any athlete who feels that way. And the more conversations that I've had with people who have played whatever sport in college and have been really serious athletes, the more that I've heard a similar story, you know, everybody's experiences are slightly different, but a similar story that um, we cling to these identities because we're scared of who we are without them. Mm. Um, And I truly think preparing student athletes for that experience because it is a really common one would would be so helpful and relieving because I think I also felt really isolated like man I'm feeling all these things and who else is feeling this way you know I I didn't have like a a former student athlete support group which would have been awesome (laughs) Um, to be able to share this like common humanity and common struggle and when I graduated again I was still in the mindset of You know, I have to be tough and I have to hustle all the time and just grind things out. And I wasn't yet in a place where I could like be kind to myself based on what I was feeling. And that just made it 10 times worse. Cause then like now I'm layering like shame and, you know, and, and feeling like embarrassed, you know, that I'm feeling all these ways and struggling with it on top of what's happening. And I don't know about you, but like, that's never helped for me. (laughs) <laughs> when you when you put shame on yourself, Leah, or you self-pity yourself, or then you're like, I shouldn't feel this way because I'm better than that. That's only suppressing something and it will come out bigger, badder, and stronger when you least expect it. No, and I think everything you just mentioned there, I like to relate it back to what we're going through at the moment because some people are like, I shouldn't be feeling like this because I'm better off than other people. And that's a really that's not a good way to think either because everybody is suffering some way. And it's like when you leave uni or you go traveling or something, you come back and you feel lost because that identity or what you're doing, you no longer have that now. And you're like, where do I go from here? So once you started in mindfulness and found the benefits and everything, how did you sort of start with that? And what made you go, right, I want to change something. I want to try and find some self-love and start loving myself first. Sure. So I, um, So yeah, I graduated almost 12 years ago now from college. And I would say, you know, after I experienced that traumatic event my senior year and I started dealing with panic attacks and then my my first episode of depression, I felt, you know, through my 20s, I would have periods where I felt amazing, but I also was kind of cycling through a lot of the same stuff, you know, feeling episodes of depression and just tons of anxiety. Um, And I realized that, I really wanted to, I wanted to try to heal. You know, I really wanted to not just put a bandaid on things and, um, and, and see what I can do to go a little bit deeper. Um, and I was a psychology major in college. I always have been fascinated by the mind and human behavior and like what makes us do what we do. So I started doing some research and I was, I'm really fortunate to live in an area that is like inundated with resources, like the Boston area and just New England in general has some of the, you know, the most prestigious institutes and obviously colleges and universities and and places to be able to learn stuff like mindfulness. Um, So I did some research and I um, signed up for uh, a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, which is kind of like the gold standard, you know, um, think it was started in in the 70s but don't quote me on that by John Kabat-Zinn as a way to help um, patients you know in Massachusetts um, deal with a variety of different symptoms Um, so I took this eight-week course and after the you know the last class I stopped and reflected and was like all right I'm not this isn't uh, this isn't just a an eight-week solution this is going to be a lifelong 
learning process for me, but I felt some subtle changes, like enough to say there might be something here for me. Like, oh, this is what everybody's talking about. You know, I don't have to be totally controlled by like the thoughts in my head and my emotions. Like it's okay to feel really tough emotions and that doesn't define who I am. And I can, like I said before, you know, I can actually hold that and, and be with it and treat myself with compassion and gentleness and not be a jerk to myself because of how I feel. And also um, with mindfulness, as I continue to practice, you know, it helps us to, to really tune in to like what's happening. I started to see some habitual tendencies that I had that I was completely unaware of. And I was really mind blown by that. So it was enough for me to say, okay, number one, I wish I had had this when I was a coach and a player. And number two, this stuff is rad and I want to learn more about it. (laughs) And I would say that mildly obsessed is probably an accurate way to describe, you know, my relationship with, with all of this stuff. Um, since I took the course about five years ago, um, because I just, I couldn't learn enough about it. I find it so fascinating and also, um, such a shift and again in how we operate particularly like for me growing up in the states and how we operate in western society and the way we're conditioned to like for me right i grew up in new york city it's like the hub of action so you know being conditioned like you must be doing and achieving constantly like again my worth is attached to my achievement and results and the doing but like being able to what may look to some people like not doing a whole lot, but being able to really sit and just be, even though, you know, mindfulness is simple in theory, but by no means is it easy. You know, one of the hardest things in the world to me is to actually sit and be with our experience. You know, we spend how many hours a day distracting ourselves because, you know, we don't want to turn around and look in and actually pay attention to what's happening because it can be really painful or really hard. Um, But for me, again, I was so attached to the doing and I was like, Oh wow. Well, that's really freaking exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I can learn some things that will help me balance my life and my emotions and my relationship to myself. Um, and then a couple years into my practice, I went on a week long silent retreat. And that for me was one of the most profound, I mean, probably the most profound experience of my life. Was that really hard? I couldn't, I'd, I'd love to do something like that. And I just, Leah, I don't understand how you could do that. Like it must've been so hard. You know what, Dale, for someone who I'm sure you can tell could talk, I could talk to a brick, a brick wall. Like I can have a conversation with a brick wall. Um, but I learned the value of silence, you know, and, and for me, I went in really just fingers crossed that I would make it through the week. Like I didn't know what to expect. And I will tell you that it wasn't as hard as, as I, I would just speak from my own experience as I thought it was going to be. I mean, the first couple of days were, whew, were pretty rough because again, it's like you're carrying, at least for me, I was carrying this, this momentum of life, right. Of just moving forward full steam ahead all the time and being able to actually just slow down and essentially spending the whole day, either sitting in meditation, walking and meditating, eating mindfully or doing your job, you know, everybody is assigned a a job in trying to do that as, as presently as possible, you know, it's a few interviews, discussions thrown in brief ones. Um, 
it really fills your day up, number one. So there actually is always something to do. And um, I think just the container is where everybody's doing the same thing as you. And so for me, I didn't feel like weird or like I was doing something that people were going to look at me because everybody's in the same boat and the teachers are amazing. And, and the, uh, the center that I went to is uh, just wonderful. So um, it, it was uh, definitely challenging, but uh, one of the, one of the, again, the most profound experiences of my life. And I came out of it. And part of the retreat was also um, focused on loving kindness meditation. So these heart practices, you know, where you send kindness and compassion to yourself and others. Um, and again, like for me, it just makes me stop and think. And when I teach this to students, I say this too, like, when's the last time that you've sent kind thoughts to yourself intentionally or to someone else, but even just to ourselves, like the voice in our head is, not nice you know it's like this unkind mind that's just spewing criticism all the time and like to be able to learn skills that can actually help cultivate a different way of relating to myself again it's like a whole world opened up like oh my god I don't have to be this crappy to myself all the time <laughs> why didn't anybody ever teach me this you know um and ever well, the since thing then like I said it's just been just it just i love it i love teaching it i love talking about it because i think it's really powerful stuff yeah and i think the thing like you just said there leah that we would never ever speak to anyone in our lives the way we speak to ourselves so why do we tolerate such bad negative self-talk um and did you was that the realization after seven days of not speaking and doing the love and kindness that is that when you sort of realize that i need to go a lot easier on myself i need to love myself first Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent, a million times over. Um, again, I don't think anyone ever taught me that that was an option up until that week. Um, and listening to some of the teachers talk about, you know, the suffering that we cause ourselves and it's really not our fault and not to take accountability off of the individual, but like we really are just a product of our environment and we're conditioned by what's around us and you know to me again it's not any one person's fault but it's just the way society is i can i can speak for like the way that i grew up i think being kind to yourself and being gentle to yourself and having compassion for yourself was weak like that's what i learned that's what i was conditioned to believe like you have to be tough it's okay to feel emotions, but you can't feel them for too long, you know, like, and you got to get over it and you have to tough it out and even push through and kind of pretend it never happened. And if you're kind to yourself, like you're going to get pushed around, you know, it's too vulnerable. It's weak. It's, there's no time for that. So when I learned like that, <laughs> there was a different way of operating. I mean, it, for me, I think like it's inherent in most people, um, it's just like layered over with our conditioning. So when I learned all about this that week, it was almost like being reminded of something that maybe I hadn't been explicitly taught, but has always been there. Mm. So uh, it was almost as opposed to like learning it, it was almost like unlearning. I, I started to unlearn what I had picked up my entire life. And to me, that's really what I've been doing for the past few years is like, trying to pick up on what are my like 
automaticities and habitual conditioning condition patterns that I go through that like are not serving me. Like they're really not serving me, but that I'm not aware of. Can I become aware of them? Right. So that if we're not aware, we can't change it. Once I'm aware, well, I can make a conscious decision now. Like I have the power back to decide, like, do I want to continue to in- reinforce this habit or do I want to try to do it differently? Like what's going to work better for me. And, and I've found time and time again, a hundred percent of the time, what works better for me is self-compassion and like being friendly to myself and saying like, Oh, you're struggling right now. And like, not what's wrong with you. And Mm. Oh God, not again. Like, here we go again. Like you're, you know, you're weak or, you know, you're crazy or there's something wrong with you. And then maybe instead like, all right, this is a moment of suffering. Like I'm human. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, it's part of being human. And like, what do I need right now? You know, what, what do I need for myself right now? Um, how can I be there for myself? Like, again, the way that I would for somebody who I really cared about, because we're with the voice in our head all the time. So I think it's easy to get sick of it. But if we think about reacting the way we react to ourselves to someone we love, like you said before, we'd never do that. We wouldn't have any friends. No one would want to be around us, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it's really a lot of unlearning. And also just like for me, when I teach to my teenagers, it's, I think it's teaching them that being this way is okay. Like it's normalizing being human, right? The experience of being human and teaching them that like, it's, it's actually a totally accepted way to be, to be kind to yourself. And there's actually a lot of research. This is for another podcast, another day, but a lot of research that's, you know, coming out that actually shows that when we practice self-compassion, not only does it increase our well-being, but it actually helps us be more resilient and actually like achieve our goals. So this mm. idea that like, what if we weren't scared to fail? Not, I mean, what is the inherent issue in failure? It's not the failure or for me, it's not that you didn't get what you thought you wanted to achieve. It's the reaction we have to it, right? Like if I fail at something, the action itself like is neutral. It's my response to it that's so terrifying that makes people not want to go outside of their comfort zone or try something that they've always wanted to try because what if I fail then what am I going to look like or what's that going to mean about me or whatever so like what if we could like know that you know even if I fail like I can be kind to myself about it I feel like that opens up a whole new world of possibilities so it's to me it's really powerful wow Leah just just sitting and listening to you then it just really hit home with me that um I think 2020, you know, like tough year, you know, and we're all going through it. And um, I think if people take one thing away from this podcast is that it is okay not to be okay. And you need to ponder on that. You need to allow yourself, but you also need to love yourself. I, I totally, that's amazing. That last five minutes is, should be on every billboard. It should start every news cycle um, because people need to hear that Leah. That was spot on. Now I'm aware of the time, but I want to talk about one thing from, our recent webinar you did and I love it. I've been recently sending to mates five emojis and explaining why I'm sending them and what they f- make me feel about. Anyway, it's worked really well because it breaks down barriers and makes vulnerability okay and it allows a deep, meaningful conversation. In your webinar, you shared about the different types of weather. Do you want to explain that? I know you use this like a check-in, but um, I think that could be really powerful for people at the moment as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, I just want to, before I explain that, just touch on what you had mentioned earlier about um, 
how we can apply some of these concepts to the situation that we're all in right now, you know, as a global community. Um, and I think just, again, this idea that like, it's okay to not be okay. And, and to not necessarily compare our suffering with someone else and feeling like, Oh, well, I'm worthy of so suffering or this person. Yes. I'm not. But again, just this idea that like, you know, this, this idea of common humanity that as human beings, like we're going to experience the range of emotions. Like that's just, what it means to be human and can we be again okay with that and treat ourselves with the kindness and that actually leads right into your question about this um personal weather forecast which i love for so many reasons so, so cool yeah so um we use this idea of um having a personal weather forecast as usually as a check-in um i for people of all ages honestly you can you can um adapt it for younger kids you can use it for teenagers you can use it for adults and it just gives people a chance to first off to pause because how often do we actually have an opportunity to like stop go in and just notice like how am i feeling and how do i know that right um so using the analogy of a personal weather forecast to describe how we're feeling in any given moment um so so maybe somebody is feeling really joyful and happy and maybe their description is like i feel really sunny right now and then maybe someone else at the same exact moment is feeling like thunderstorms like just super tumultuous and has a lot of stuff going on but what I love particularly about the weather forecast is, and I actually did this this morning with a group I was teaching when describing my own weather forecast at the time, is that we can actually be sunny and cloudy at the same time. Like there are times where the sky has sun, but clouds mixed in and in, in, in a moment it's really bright and you can't see. And then the cloud covers the sun and you can't tell it's there. So this idea that like, it's not black and white, you know, we can actually feel like we can hold both um, and, and getting, people to understand start tuning into like their emotional lives and their inner experiences more. I think it's a really simplified way, but also a really deep and powerful way. And I also love this idea of, of having a, the weather to describe how we feel because it also reminds us, I believe that uh, just like the weather, nothing is permanent. Everything's changing. So like, in the midst of a really tough emotion, I've experienced this myself, it just feels like it's never gonna end. Like, oh my God, you know? And it's this idea that this too shall pass, but using the weather and like explaining that to kids, especially I think is a really relatable way for them to understand. Like, even if you look up and a cloud looks like it's not moving, if you look really closely, it's actually subtly shifting. And thus, and, and in that way, our emotions are constantly shifting too. Um, the other piece I love too is, is after checking in and, and kind of understanding what our personal weather forecast is, we can also take it a step further and start tuning into like, how do I know that? Right. Because we're so disconnected from our bodies. Like we're so, we're like, you know, these, these brains in a jar sometimes and to be able to reconnect with the body and be like, all right, well, I'm feeling sunny with a mix of clouds, you know, mix of sun and clouds right now. How do I know? Like, can I tune in and like, oh, wow, I didn't realize like when I feel really happy, I feel like an expansion in my chest or when I feel really angry, wow, or sad, like my hands start clenching and my fists to get hot and to, to help again, even from a young age to help kids start to learn to tune in and investigate like what's happening in their bodies, I think is a critical skill, you know? Mm, so, so true. Well, that's made me feel like a sun and smile because I think it, 
you know, your message has been so relevant for not only what you've gone through, and I think people can, personal stories so powerful, and you'll know that better than anyone as a, as a school teacher. That's what we do. We tell stories all day. But when you can relate to your past and relate it back to what people are going through right now, there's a great way of doing it. And I love that the weather can change, um, even if it's pouring one minute, particularly uh, where I live in Melbourne, it can be sunny one minute, snowing the next. So everything does change. So Leah, if you could finish with one thing, because I know a lot of people are really struggling at the moment around the world with everything going on. 2020 is tough, it's rough, it's testing, it's strange. However you want to label it, what's something you'd like to leave people with? Just one bit of advice or a message um, for how they're going at the moment. Put you on the spot here, sorry. (laughs) No, I love it. No, I appreciate it. I think it's a great question. And I'm just going to go with what came to me first instead of overthinking it. And, And that's something I think that has been a common thread in everything we've been chatting about Dale. And that really is to um, spend time cultivating kindness and compassion towards ourselves. Because I know there's so much we can't control right now. And there's so much suffering in the world right now. Um, But I truly believe that a lot of the outer work that there's action that needs to happen in the world in a variety of different ways. Um, In order for there to be true change needs to be balanced with the inner work. And part of that inner work is, is again, befriending ourselves. So once we're able to be kinder and more compassionate with ourselves, I think, again, it, it really creates a fertile ground for whatever else we want to do in our lives, wherever else we want to go, whatever seeds we want to plant. Um, but I don't think being mean and, and harsh to ourselves is going to help anybody in what's already a ridiculously stressful, mm. tough, unpredictable situation. So um, I think for those, for people who maybe feel like, where do I start or how do I do it? There are tons of resources online because I think what's important to know is that it's a skill. It's a skill that can be cultivated. So this idea that we can cultivate the skill of self-compassion and kindness towards ourselves to me is one of the most important one of the best gifts we can ever give to ourselves. Mm, wow. What a, what a lovely way to finish. So Leah, people are listening going, Oh my God, I've never heard such amazing content and everything you're saying. Where is the best way to find more Leah, reach out to you, get in contact with everything you're doing? For sure. So, um, I'm not huge on social media, but where you can find me is on Twitter and my handle is mindful HPE. So it stands for health and phys ed. So mindful HPE. And then um, on LinkedIn as well, people can connect with me and Leah Lipschitz is the name that you can search for. Um, And you can even reach out via email if something I said sparked your interest or you want to learn more or just have a chat. And it's my name. So Leah.Lipschitz at Gmail. Dot com. And I'd love to hear from anybody who's either doing this work or interested or wants to ask a question or follow up. I absolutely love that. And guys, I'll have links on 205 episode on the website where you can reach out, get on. If you're not on Twitter already, get on there. It's an amazing way. I think it's the best professional development tool I've ever come across. Now, Leah, that's a very good handle. You must have got in early before mindfulness became cool. <laughs> you know, it's 
interesting. That was a recent change for me. Ooh, I no, it had it to be available, but <laughs> I slid in and got it. So I'm holding on to that one. Well, I bet you are. I bet you are. Well, thank you so much, not only for providing, uh, I think it was about three or four weeks ago now, a fantastic webinar that was so insightful with simple ideas. And I think that's the best thing about what you mentioned there. The weather check-in is such a simple idea. People can relate to it because the weather changes all different seasons, all times of the year. And that's exactly like our moods and our feelings. So Leah, thank you so much for sort of painting that clarity today and um, bringing that self-compassion, kindness and love for ourselves because I think everybody needs a little bit more of that in their time. So thank you so much, buddy. Dale, thank you. I'm immensely grateful for being here and please take good care. I'll come back anytime. <laughs> Champion. Thanks, buddy.